Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books we're all supposed to read before we die and decide if they're really worth our time. I'm Nicole, a lover of historical fiction and Harry Potter. And I'm Chelsea, and I am always down for a good book that's going to make me cry. So this week, we are reading The Life and Times of Michael Kay. But before we get into that, let's talk about the other books that have been on our to-read list lately. So I actually just finished A Darker Shade of Magic, which is a book, the first book in a series that Nicole talked about a few episodes ago. She was reading the third and final book, and I really enjoyed it. It definitely read like grown-up Harry Potter meets Six of Crows. It was really good. Six of Crows. I was literally, I was requesting library books the other day and I was trying to think, what's that series that Chelsea's always recommending to me? And that's what it was. And I couldn't think of it. Six of Crows. Six of Crows. So good. Uh, yeah, that I think I got, originally got that series, The Darker Shade of Magic, off of a, like a, if you loved Harry Potter, read these type thing on Pinterest. And it was, and they're, yeah, they're really, really satisfying. I really like it because it's, it's good adult magic done light like it's not like a giant world building that some fantasy novels which I also really enjoy but do it's like easy yeah the world's well constructed but it doesn't take like a ton of exposition to figure it out have you read the magicians I couldn't get into it I tried to read the first one but I never finished yeah I read the first one and I didn't like it and so I never read the second one and I watched the first season of the show when I was really doped up on painkills when I had a tooth pulled and I liked it but I don't remember it at all (laughs) uh but I think this book is like so much better than the magicians, and I mm-hmm. and I the magician gets a lot more attention. Yeah, I like, really yeah. like this one. What have you been reading? Well, so even though these this episode is re- released just one week after our last one, it's actually been a long time since we recorded <laughs> because you had a concussion. Yeah, <laughs> I was in a pretty nasty car accident um, on the freeway. My car was crunched. I had a nice thing where my head hit a steering wheel. It was great. It's been fabulous. Couldn't yeah. read for a month. Yeah, so it's probably been about six weeks since we recorded because you you had that, and then once you could start reading, then I had the flu, and so we have been out of it, and so I've read a ton of books uh, since we last recorded. Some of my favorites have been The Refugees by um, Viet Tan Nguyen, which is uh, the same person who wrote The Sympathizer, um, which I think I talked about on here before, and it's a book of short stories about various like refugee experiences super great and very timely and then the other one that I really love was Tower of Dawn by Sarah J Moss which is the most recent um Throne of Glass series which I'm addicted to that series I'm in a middle of a reread right now and it's so good it doesn't it it can't like rival Harry Potter in my mind because that is sacred but the but it it has the same ability to like totally consume me and I'll I read I'm reading them really fast um which is funny because I like her other series more I like her other series series more the okay. court ones but I like those ones more but those are all done I think well there's gonna be one right like a, a novella there's gonna or something. be no there's gonna be a secondary series but it's not gonna be centered around the main character from the previous series oh yeah so it's gonna be I really like want it to be about her sisters yeah I want yeah. it to be around the snarky sister yeah the snarky <laughs> sister. I can't her name starts with an N I can't think of it right Nessa. now Nessa yeah. yeah yeah I really hope it's about her and Cassian mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah, anyway, Sarah Dumas is amazing. <laughs> if you haven't read her, you should read her. I've read all of her books. She's like brain candy. And she, and she kicks out like three novels a year like at a very fast pace, which is very yeah. satisfying. Uh, and so, but those are two of my favorites that I've read recently out of many. We both also, last episode, we talked about books that first got us into reading, which got us talking about the Animorph series. Yes. Uh, and so we both also read the first from that series, uh, The Invasion, 
which is really hilarious because I don't think I read those in order when we were kids. I don't think I did either. Um, And I I really laughed because like so little happened in that first book. It was like, it was short. I mean, it's a children's book, but also just there's It was literally like, I mean, I think it's funny to talk about Animorphs. So we're going to talk about Animorphs here for a second. (laughs) It was like, the aliens are here. The aliens telling us about it. That alien's dead. And now there's maggoty things trying to eat our brains. Like, end. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah the Animorphs, classic childhood literature. But I don't think I want to reread all of them. <laughs> I think I kind of want to read the first four. Because if I remember the first four, at some point, were combined into, like, one, one book. Because they tell a more complete tale. Oh. Um, so I, right. I'm thinking I'm going to commit to the first four. Because it was yeah. just so easy. Literally, it was the first book I read after my concussion. Because I was like, this takes... <laughs> No mental acuity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can read a sentence and then put it down and come back and not need to reread anything. So. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I feel like I wish there was a podcast where they read like that era of. Yeah. Child- like I know I think there's pretty sure there's like a Babysitter's Club one, but that kind of predates me. It's a little. I was a little young. I didn't yeah, really I didn't read those. really read. I read the Babysitter's Sisters novels, not yeah. the Babysitter's yeah. Club mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, uh, but I think that that's a really fun podcast right there. Yeah, <laughs> I or listen to that. Uh, what was the one, the series that was about like uh, if if revelations in the Bible came true? There oh, was left a kid behind. Seri- there's a kid series. And there's about a kid it. series of that. We yeah, we read those together. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I know. Who knows? What I would think about that now. The I think. Have you ever read the book The Happiness Project by Gretchen? No, Rubin? I've seen it though. Oh, and so it's like a self help type book where she does all these different things a different goal each month for a year to be more happy. And one of the things she does is that she, you know, she loves like children's, like children's chapter books, uh-huh. like literature. And so she starts, but she doesn't have anyone to share that with, you know, and her kids are, are older. And uh-huh. so she starts like a book. She just finds some friends who are in that and they start like a book club where that's what they read. I think that, that was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Anyways. Well, why don't you tell us about, the details of this book and when it was published and who the author okay. and all that good all stuff. All right, so it's The Life and Times of Michael Kay, and it was published in 1983 um, by J.M. Coetzee, which I might be, I'm definitely mispronouncing that, but he's a South African author, and he has quite a few books on this list, actually, I think the most of anyone, and I'd never heard of him before. Confessions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, and it's, it's quite short. Uh, just 184 pages, so it's it's pretty quick. It's pretty quick. Um, if you had to describe this book in one word, Chelsea, what would your word be? Vague. I just feel like this book kind of just skimmed skimmed along. There wasn't really any like. I, at least I wasn't able to pull any depth out of the story, and it just didn't feel like things were happening, but not much was happening. I don't know. I didn't have any attachment to the character, so it kind of felt like when you're looking at something like through a stained glass window or something, like it was it was shadowy. You're, you're it kind of distant from it. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't and there for me. I'll agree that the pacing was very meandering, which I think is an intentional choice. Yeah, and we we'll, we can get into that. But um, my um, one word description of the life and times of Michael Kay is it's pretty dead giveaway to how I felt about the book, but it's the only thing I could come up with is the word discriminatory because. Um, this, there's, I mean, we've read lots of books where we've talked about, like, they are hitting on the intense topics that are very relevant in our side today and in the past, but this book really pushed my buttons, um, on a particular issue that's close to my heart, and so I, 
it was hard. Once I kind of got that, it was just like I couldn't I couldn't find yeah any compassion mm-hmm. for it at all. <laughs> Which maybe and I and the thing is is that if that that I think it was a topic. It's a topic that's not. It wasn't the author wasn't trying to write about it. No, it's, I don't think I he think was. it's just like his natural prejudice or like cultural perspective sliding in it's not really part of the, of the point of the book and so that's that's what really frustrated me but and we'll kind of get into that a little bit yeah. when we go into the plot we don't want to give too much away yeah so let's let's uh chelsea do you want to give everybody like a two sentence spoiler free um description of this book yeah so it's about this character michael k and he originally sets off on this journey to take his mother back to where she grew up and Throughout the course of the journey, it just kind of travels through. It felt like it was probably a year or so of his life. There weren't really any time periods. As he travels through a war-torn country, he ends up in a camp. He ends up in a hospital over the course of it. And kind of, it was just so meandering. So that basically, that's the gist of it. Um, it felt like it was a book that was supposed to talk about war and kind of how the simple life can be good. Um were kind of the themes of the novel, but it just took a very big route to get there. So honestly, the quick plot is just that he was wandering through South Africa. Yeah, that seems about right. And during during an unnamed war. Yes. That due it's to, a fictional due, that, that, due to Wikipedia research, I know is fictional. Yeah. Because it did not, it did not uh, jive with the little knowledge I have about South African history. Yeah. Uh, and so from this point forward, we're going to get into some spoilers of this book. If you are desperate to read it without hearing any more, come back to us later. Um, but let's get into a little bit more of what's going on in the plot of this book. Yeah. And make sure to check the episode notes if you don't want to hear the spoilers, because I will put the minute mark where we stop being spoilery. Um, so essentially in this book is a more detailed description. Michael K. The war is going on. He loses his job. His mother is really ill. And so she really wants us her last thing. First off, though, she's a terrible human being. He has a cleft palate. And it seems like some intellectual disabilities. And his mother basically put him in an institution his whole yeah. life. And my question is, does he really have an intellectual disability? Or does, was he or just was, not or because he was institutionalized, he was never taught. And yeah, so he couldn't it's rise. a weird... Because that happens. We know it's like it's a scientific fact that when people are institutionalized, they lose, like they, they lose out on what they could have had. They don't reach their highest potential. Mm-hmm. Yes. But so from the way the characters interact with him in the novel... They're assuming yeah, he has everyone's an intellectual treating disability. Him. Um, and so he, his mother wants to go back to where she came from. So he built this crazy contraption and tried to ride her across the country of South Africa. Um, she dies along the way and he basically loses the will to live and sits in a hospital for a long time. He's taken to a work camp. He... He, like, hides out and starts farming, and that he seems to find some purpose in, like, growing things, and that like, that's really what he's gifted in, is, like, gardening and growing things. But then he has to, like, he gets captured, you know, because yeah. no one's supposed to be wandering the countryside because of Because of this fictional war. Uh, he also ends up, after his capture, after the camp, after he escapes, he ends up back in a hospital where the viewpoint of the novel switches at that point and is, like, notes from a nurse who's caring for him. Um, and it sounds like this nurse is the one person who maybe doesn't think he has these disabilities. To oh, that's of... totally the opposite of what I think. So we'll come back to that. Well, the doctor was the one that I thought was really oh, bad. Oh, you're right. I'm confusing them and making yeah. them the same character. So there was, yeah. there was two characters in this so, yeah, section the doctor, of the novel. 
the doctor's the one who like thinks he's like kind of mystical and magical yes. right? yeah mm-hmm. and then there's a nurse as well who's in it and they're trying to they think he was growing things on this farm to support the resistance but mm-hmm. really he was just trying to keep himself alive and he escapes there again and he ends up almost back where he started at a beach though right where he's like sexually assaulted yep in a really like weird way a weird and not like so this the book is divided into three sections there's one section that's all about him running away with his mother and her passing and then him being in the hospital and then finally finding the farm and then when he gets in the camp and he gets put in the camp and when he escapes the camp then it moves to section two which is all at the hospital told from the secondary perspective and then it moves to section three when he escapes the hospital and he uh that's back in his perspective and he goes to this beach and it's only about 10 pages long this whole section and he is molested by some woman who pities him is what he takes from it and then he's like oh well the point of life is to keep on living and novel and that yeah all in in like 180 pages so yeah Yeah, it was (laughs) yeah so okay so why don't we it was a thing we read yeah why don't we go section by section so let's start with that first section where he's running away and so i think to me the key thing that caught my eye in that section was that so this book came out in 1983 so like not too long after apartheid ended in south africa right Mm -hmm. and um and in this book there they the author never names the race of the characters but i think i came to it with like a, a lens of like oh it's south african i bet this main character michael who's so downtrodden is black and maybe that was like a fault i shouldn't have come with that assumption you know but that's how i read it and that the other characters like the doctor and the nurse are white and that this war this imaginary war that didn't exist in south africa for real is some sort of race war Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if you like felt like that's what it was, but that it seemed like that the resistance was black people and the other people were like dominating white people and black people who were like, you know, with them on their side. I'm wondering <laughs> if and maybe I I wonder if the disability part of the story was supposed to be an allegory for race, but we just didn't think it was done well. Oh, yeah. Or maybe we were just too disconnected from, like, how South Africans think about race that's different than Americans think about it. Yeah, because I came in with race assumptions, and then I was confused as to why his cleft palate and all this was so yeah. vital to the story. But I wonder if it was slightly an allegory about race. But um, Yeah, it was Yeah, it was, it was just like, I, feel, I felt like they was really trying to get some deeper meaning, and either I didn't, I missed it, or I found it really offensive, <laughs> yeah. what they said. But do you think that the war was, like, a race war? But I mean, I thought it was, but it's never mentioned. It's never mentioned. And so I think that's a really interesting, like, literary thing. He's like, he's never, I think everyone would assume that a South African author near apartheid would be writing about race. And he's, like, kind of upturning that, which is, that's interesting and cool, I think. Like, that he's not doing what's expected. And it'll be interesting when we get to other books by this guy on the list, because there are others, if he follows that same convention. That's kind of his thing. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting to know because I feel like then I might have a better grasp on what he was trying to do. Yeah. And we're not going to have an option to not read him again. So. Yeah, we're going to read him Luckily, he, he's short. Yeah, he's what brief. if his other books are like 800 pages? <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't terrible to no, read. <laughs> it was, and it was pretty easy to read like yeah. it was because it's so modern and stuff. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting was that um, it seemed like this man had just had this terrible 
terrible life. Like, he, his mother didn't like him from the moment he was born because of the cleft palate, and he was institutionalized, and then when he outgrew the institution, she basically, like, saw him once a week while he had this job as a gardener, and then when he lost his job, was just like, well, you need to take me where my homeland was because you're my son. And it's like, you did nothing for him. Yeah, I didn't, really, I didn't really think of that much when we were reading it, but it is a really, uh, and he just like, I think has a, like, he's like, well, this is my duty. It's my mother. I have mm-hmm. to take care of her. But in a different society or time, I think, you know, we might be more just be like, well, screw her, you know? Yeah. But like how much, even when, I think it's very common, and like, even when families are bad, people still feel really tied to them right that yeah you can't get out of it and you have those obligations no matter what so she was a terrible woman yeah <laughs> and then you get to this point where he makes it to the farm and the farm where she wanted him to go and she's dead she's already passed away has been abandoned and so he just like starts living off the land land and a very like i don't know how to live off the land i'm making it up kind of way um and just when he starts to get comfortable a man comes and basically starts treating him like a servant and then he has to flee again. So the whole book is like him like he's settling running. and then he's running and then well, settling like, and then he's running. There's no place for him in the world. Yeah. There's no place for him in this war and that he's like caught up in it. Um, I think, I mean, he's, I think he's meant to represent like the eternal, like innocent that is caught up in like the machinations of like other people the world leaders and whatever that are doing things and, and he just has to go with the only way he can survive is to kind of go with the flow and the only reason he survives is because he doesn't fight for anything at either side right he just kind of like rolls along mm-hmm. and that's how he survives it uh all like the labor camp and the hospital and stuff and the, and then all, but also when he's like when he's farming at that section he it's also like weird and like he's kind of starving right because yeah. he's waiting for his food to ripen um, but it's it's kind of painted as like this like spiritual experience that like almost like he's kind of a holy man, you know, yeah. like that. Well, like it a was mystic. almost like to like um, romanticizing being a hermit. Yeah, for sure. It was doing that. Mm-hmm. For sure it was doing that. Uh, and then you mentioned something earlier before we started that was interesting about how like you were reading this book and you were think you were assuming like, OK, it must be set in the time it was written in the 1980s. But sometimes you could have just thought oh this is in the 1800s like it like it, it did it, it could have happened at any time like in human history like, mm-hmm. that's what it felt yeah like. like you'd be reading pages and i'd forget where i was in time and then it'd be like and the jet plane flew overhead and i'd be like oh okay yeah. jarring but yeah jet planes <laughs> and i would assume maybe that was also an intentional choice that trying like this is a universal story you know? yeah i think that's also what the author is trying to get at um well, let me talk a little bit about the thing that made this that made me really frustrated with this yes. book. And so in that second in the second section, Michael's in the hospital and this one doctor really takes like an interest in him and sees and 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 sees him, you know, as a person with a disability who and who because they have their disability is a like a hero for even surviving, you know, and B sort of like mystical and magical and knows the real secret to life because of his disability. And um, I work with people with disabilities in my job. I help um, people get employment. I help them Mm -hmm. get internships when they're in school. I've been doing it for many years now. And that, like, trope, I find it so frustrating because um, 
people with disabilities don't want to be seen as special just for doing the things that everyone does in their day-to-day lives. It doesn't make them a hero that they get up and go to work. It makes them normal like everybody else. And they and that is like a hated label, you know, um, that like, like there's great like there's great stuff out there that self-advocates have put out about why we, sh- we shouldn't treat people with disabilities as special, you know, mm-hmm. because they're doing typical day-to-day things. Um, and the idea that oh like they're they have more knowledge about the universe I just like that's such an outdated idea even from the 1980s you know like Mm -hmm. that we shouldn't um people with disabilities are just like everybody else I think that might have been the nurse I think I'm confusing them in my head too I think I've combined uh, these two characters but anyway the character wasn't in in that section of the book and so there's that character whether it was a doctor or nurse is just always like like having long monologues about how perfect Michael is, you know, and how innocent he is. And and I also don't think that's true. And it doesn't serve people with disabilities for us to treat them like children, like they're adults, you know, that they, they have a biological, their biological age is 25, they're 25. They're, they, and when people use that language, like, oh, they have a mental age of this, like that, there's no science in that. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. And, um, and well, so that, that's the thing is that I don't think this book was supposed to be about people with disabilities, um, but because, unless it really was an allegory about race, because, like, erasial stereotypes, um, but I, the fact that that was just in there so casually just made me be like, everything this author says is crap. Well, and interestingly, I, I, I mean, I teach, but I don't work with adults with disabilities, so my perspective is a little different about that in terms of, like, how aware of that I am and how much I noticed it in reading. But when you were saying earlier that you thought it was talking about, like, the eternally innocent, that annoys me that he chose someone who has a disability to represent mm-hmm. innocence. Right. That, I find that obnoxious. And I hadn't thought about that before until you said that out loud. Uh and I don't like that. Um, right. Like, um, let, here, let, let's, I got some, I saved some quotes along these lines. Um, so this is that, that doctor or nurse character talking. You're precious, Michaels, in your way. You are the last of your kind, a creature left over from an earlier age, like the last man to speak your cry. We have all tumbled over the lip of the cauldron of history. Only you following your idiot light, biding your time in an orphanage, evading the peace and the war, skulking in the open where no one dreamed of looking, have managed to live in the old way, drifting through time, observing the seasons, no more trying to change the course of history than a grain of sand does. We ought to value and celebrate you. We ought to put your clothes on a marquette in a museum, your clothes and your packet of pumpkin seeds too with a label. There ought to be a plaque nailed to the racetrack wall commemorating your stay here. So it's just, I just think it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, Yeah. And basically I think it's like saying that the best way to live life is to value the simple things in life and to not try to change history, to not try to be, but and I also think that's like not a hundred percent true. Or I think I think the book's interpretation of it is too simple because I think human beings have a responsibility to try to live out their values, and that does. And most in like ninety nine percent of the time in your life, you're just going to be yeah, you're going to be trying to be a good person in your setting, you know. Yeah. But sometimes that means speaking your voice to a larger issue, you know, and then adding your voice to the other millions is going to make a change, you know. And, and like I have to believe that or the world is just terrible, you know? I, I'm really interested now. I really want to know if this, what this guy meant. Like, I'm sure there's some interview or something with him. Like, if this was supposed to be an allegory for race, which case I'm still annoyed by it. Or if this was just 
1983 ignorance writing yeah. about disabilities. Yeah, I really didn't know. Here's here's the other one that really the other quote that really bothered me. Um, this is when he he's escaped from the hospital and they're you know should we go after him you know. The poor simpleton has gone off like a sick dog to die in a corner. Let him be. Don't haul him back and force him to die here under a spotlight with strangers looking on. Um, What I say is true. People like Michaels are in touch with things you and I don't understand. They hear the call of the great good master and they obey. (coughs) It's just like people with disabilities don't have like special magical in touch with nature and the universe powers that we don't have. And they don't like they're. Yeah, it's just it's just like. It's such a trope. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to the third part, which is I did read a little bit about this novel online, and this is the part. The third part is the part that most people abhor. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's also real. That part also the third part is also very frustrating because so, then he meets these like kind of vagrants who are hanging out yeah. at the beach, who like again see him as a person with a disability who they like want to take care of, and the way they do that is by like giving him alcohol and like a sexual experience against his will. <laughs> Yeah. And because they think that, I guess, like, the doctor or the nurse whoever thought the solution was to, like, give give Michael the weight, will to live. And then these people think the solution is to give him, like, fast living, basically. And it's kind yeah. of like two p- different people's interpretation of what the purpose of life is. And they all think that he holds what the real purpose of life is. And it's, it's very, uh, I don't know, the way it was talked about, it's very, like, violating like this is clearly I don't know how to word this this is the kind of like sexual assault that women today would claim like or have not claim but like they would be called a claim yeah like he someone was drunk and then somebody forced himself right. on them but he was drunk so he just laid there so it was very very jarring Ooh, that's to true. me yeah. it was a very like so they get him drunk and then a woman basically gives him a hand job forcibly, like, just puts her hand in his pants. Her, her hand in his, yeah, that's right, her hand in, in his pants. pants. Yeah. And then, like, he doesn't know what to do and tries to change the subject, and so then he just lays and accepts it. That's a good point. That's the kind of thing that when someone says that happened to him now, that's where people are most likely to victim blame. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting because it was, like, these people thought it was a solution, the good thing for him, but it's an assault. Yeah. And so what do you think the author is saying that if so far in the book he's been saying that Michaels is, like, the ideal innocent person and then pretty much the last thing that happens in the book is that assault does that make him not innocent anymore or does he does he retain his eternal innocence because because of his innocence he never could have stopped something like that i i think it he maintains his innocence because he basically just goes on and it's like well there is a passage where it says he could not sleep against his will the memory returned of the silver hair bent over his sex. right he's trauma he's traumatized he's traumatized by this like, yeah PTSD and like and then he tries to relax and calm himself to sleep and in calming himself to sleep he thinks about the seeds and how the mistake he made when he was traveling was that he didn't have enough seed packets so he's gonna start and try and start his journey again but this time he wants more seeds and that's the end of the novel yeah which I feel like is kind of like maybe like you know like in all of life, we kind of circle back to the same patterns. Like everybody does that, you know, and that, I, I don't know. It's so strange. It's yeah. It's just, I feel like we've said this about other books too. We're like, I know it's trying to say something and I either disagree with it or I don't understand it. And this one, 
And this one isn't even a translation or anything. And so I don't know why it's so hard for us to understand, but it is so vague, like you said before. Yeah, and I, it's the winner of the Booker Prize. Like it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, that makes it extremely famous as an international like novel, right? I think I'm going to have to do some research and get back to you all the next episode on what this man was okay. trying to say. Okay, there's one more thing I want to talk about. <laughs> and so also very close to the end of the book, um, they are talking about, I can't remember what, what this section was particularly about, but um, someone is, is talking about, uh, the quote is, for what reason were we waging the war after all, but to augment the sum of happiness in the universe? Or was I misremembering, was that another war I was thinking of? And so that's interesting. I also think this book is like pretty is anti-war. I mm-hmm. think that's like base level for it for sure. And but I think that's an interesting idea is that like is the real reason all wars are fought is because both sides feel like that by whatever you know they're fighting for that they're going to make the world overall world a happier place. But then the war always causes the world to be an unhappier place mm-hmm. no matter what like no matter what you do because there's so much death and destruction you know i mean i'm like revealing my pacifism <laughs> but yeah. uh, but and i'm and you know there's i've heard many you know tons of arguments about which wars are good and which ones were bad and everybody has different opinions about that and that like we don't need to get into that but the the i like I think that, like, summary is that, like, oh, yeah, like, this side that's doing this is trying to augment the net level of happiness in the world. I think the next time we're going to go to war, I feel like that's the good question to ask because that's definitely what the le- leaders yeah. are thinking when they go to war, right? Like, fundamentally, that's the that's bottom line. That's what everybody wants. What's yeah. scary about war is that both sides are thinking that, and so somebody has to be wrong. Right, just, like, both sides think that God is on their side. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's is like, a- well, that's impossible. <laughs> Interesting enough, you can't be right if you have the same differing opinions someone's wrong or both of you are wrong yeah and often I think that's the case um I just looked up just I mean this is just Wikipedia I am gonna look into it a little bit more because it's bugging me the more we talk about it (laughs) um but it sounds like from what people have posted on the Wikipedia that the main themes that people think in this are the value of human life which I could see that I don't think it's well approached but I could like in the like war like or like that that like his life is valuable that michael's life that like is everybody yeah that even even though all these things the author subscribes to him like they should be terrible things he's still of value all right i could right. see that okay okay i don't think it's well done yeah but i could see it um mother and son um, enmeshment yeah that's yeah we talked about that mm-hmm. time um but this is weird it's that it's basically like the time is confusing. There's never enough time for it. Wait, anything. that's pretty much what we said, right? Yeah, that, so I feel like we picked out all these themes. War and military authority. Mm-hmm. And race. Yeah, look at us. We got all the t- themes that Wikipedia said. But what annoys me then <laughs> is that he literally made him... A dis- have a disability, have disability for no reason. And have not just... Yeah. It wasn't even like a physical disability. He made him have a physical disability and, and, and have everyone yeah. give him a cognitive intellectual disability like what (laughs) yeah and so that's just like his own um like ableism seeping out and like and he and i feel like the character he wrote is like very stereotypical Mm -hmm. um and maybe it's stereotypical because of books like this you know that's why it's a stereotype now i don't know but the um but it like wasn't even his purpose which is why it's so that's why i find it so frustrating if we're frustrated by it because we work in the careers we work in yeah, but other people should be exposed to the crazy. No, <laughs> but I wonder that, like, if 
if we didn't have that background. People who didn't have a background in education yeah. or in like serving services. adults, yeah. <laughs> like, it would yeah. not come across. And I, yeah, before I got into the field of, like, dis- employment services for people with disabilities, I hadn't really thought about that as a career option. It wasn't something that was talked about in my education at all. It was, like, a whole world that was never touched on. And a lot of the issues now where I'm, like, vehemently have strong, strong opinions I had never even considered until I, like, kind of stumbled into my first job in this field. And so... Uh, I would definitely say that people probably wouldn't be as angry as as, as we Or feel. even notice it. Because no, you it wouldn't would just even be, it. It would just be like background. a character trait of this character. Yeah. It wouldn't be something that you would have yeah, any issues it'd with. it would be in the background. Yeah, so, that's true. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, I think yeah. um, we can move on to whether we think this book belongs on the list. Yeah, so is this book canon? Books that everyone needs to read before they die for the sake of truly understanding humanity and being an educated person. I don't feel nervous about this one because I think we have the same answer. Yeah. One, two, two, three. three. No. no. Um, so for me, I say no because I, I don't think I, I think the themes are too vague to be really moving or thought-provoking uh, in a way that like transforms society which I feel like this kind of book is trying to do. It's trying to say really intense things and I don't think I think it's too vague and I just think that the passive like anti-disability stuff um discredits it for me well and I think it just tried to talk about too many things oh yeah mm-hmm. in too short of a novel and unintentionally pulled in a whole nother kettle of fish kind of deal like pulled in a whole nother topic that kind of blurred the message of the novel yeah 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 for sure like I couldn't I didn't think as much about the other stuff that he was really trying to say and even that list on Wikipedia that's a long list for a short book (laughs) if you think about it like this novel could just have easily have been about a young black man who was trying to trying to get new jobs in apartheid era South Africa and all these same things could have happened to that man and it wouldn't have had to have uh, like there's too many intermeshed like things like you can't pull out a real point yeah i think that's totally true all right so we're saying pass on this one when when the next and we get to read more of him yeah when the next book of his comes up we'll see if if this it holds maybe the other ones are better than we will like more who knows we'll have to re-listen to this episode before we record the next one (laughs) so that we can kind of yeah it could be a long time from now out of a thousand books (laughs) 20 years later later. okay remember in episode seven (laughs) when we did this um okay so we thought for our next little segment, we would talk about our favorite ships from Yay! literature. Um, and so this is, you know, one of the best parts about being a reader, be, uh, being obsessed and excited in fandoms about characters that are together in books or that you want to be together in books. Yes. So, Chelsea, what, what's on your list? Um. Well, one that I put on here that I don't really know how it ends yet because I'm only one book in is, well, I've been reading The A Darker Shade of Magic in the first book. I am definitely shipping Kel and Lila. And I actually cannot give spoilers because I don't know what happens. Like, there's not even a romantic connection yet yet in the book. I just really like the way they play off each other. I kind of like in, like, thief novels, though, like, the play of characters, like, romantically. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, in Six of Crows, there's a character, Inej, and her romantic connection, I can't think of his name now, um is a similar like she's a thief and he's like a leader of a gang of crew people and it's just I really like that um that kind of connection so I'm I'm majorly shipping that also 
I will. I didn't put this on our list, but I will say in my lifetime, I may have read some Harry Potter fan fiction. Who and, hasn't? I mean, let's uh, be honest. <laughs> and uh, uh, there's one Harry Potter fan fiction um, called The Fallout. Just, I'm just going to, I'll even put it out there. It's not even live on the internet now. You have to totally like torrent it. I mean, I've never done that in government if you're listening. Um, They're always listening. <laughs> They're always watching. We need more listeners. It's okay. Um, <laughs> but this this novel, The Fallout, which is fan fiction, um, is a Draco and Hermione ship, and I'm all about that shit. <laughs> I, I haven't read that one, though. You've been trying to get me to read it forever. Um, I now have a PDF of it. I have so. read some other fan fiction that's that combo. Which because, I, again, I don't, I don't I'm just that. really into the person who, like, Sees the error of their ways and becomes a good yeah. person. Spike and Buffy, like yeah, and a lot of people really hate Spike and Buffy. Oh, either. I freaking love Spike. But you and love Buffy. them. Yeah, that is kind of your thing. That bad boys turning good. That's kind of your thing. Uh, it is. It's all about yeah. that, which is so funny because that is not the type of person I date in real life. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's really great. The only Harry Potter like fan fiction ship that I like despise is Hermione and Harry together Ugh. because I hated it when JK Rowling said I should I would have put them together if I wrote it now and just like bullshit Ron and Hermione are perfect together fight me like nobody nobody do anything about it um but my so my favorite ships um are most my most recent discovery is Reese and Feyre from oh, the me too. court of what's the first one called the court of thorns and roses yes. which is the oh. other Sarah J Maas trilogy so good and they're so great <laughs> together and uh and I love how like and again it, wait Reese yeah, fits you, my thing yeah because in the first book you think he's bad and then and then you like but yeah I kind of like him yeah whatever. And don't know spoilers but then, oh god yeah. Reese and Fair. <laughs> Yeah, and there and it's yeah, it's just yeah, that the second book of that series is so good. I mean, the way that trilogy wrapped up I thought was a little weak, but um the series as a whole was good. The series as a whole was outstanding and I and I feel like yeah, it's just I just love them together. And my other one is like I feel like very common is Claire and Jamie from the Outlander series. Who I love, I love basically because Jamie is the perfect man who doesn't ever has never existed in the real world, but has is everything that every woman would want. You mean there's no Scottish man just walking around being perfect? Yeah, who's like times? he lives in the seven hundreds, but he's like a he's like a feminist, and he, and he and he will always he's always strong, and he always saves you when you're in danger. It's like such a horrible like damsel in distress stereotype. But then when you're you can be powerful too and he's okay with it Ugh, and like it's really good looking at the same time I also like on top of it it's I crazy do, it just I do love me some Jamie and Claire yeah yeah I've been I've been uh watching the show and it's really great though and I watch it with my mom which sometimes which we just we just kind of breeze right through it we don't discuss it <laughs> like they're having sex it's moving and on and it's fine we're both adults <laughs> oh god yeah I again yeah. So if my trope of things that I ship is, like, the bad guy who's actually, like, good or, yeah. like, undergoes a transformation and, like, does a total yeah. shift. Not – let's let's be clear. None of these people are, like, actually terrible human beings who are, like, murdering people or raping people or doing yeah. any of that. They're just, like, have an edge. <laughs> <laughs> Your face when you said that was so good. Um, if that's my trope, what is your trope in things you ship? Man, I don't know. I don't know what I feel like. I really like it when like the guy, like the guy character, like 
has a conscience and is like thoughtful and the girl is and is like the woman is like a strong empowered female lead and Mm -hmm. the guy is like totally cool with it and is like and even at first he's like oh I feel like threatened by this then he realizes he's like being such an idiot and that he should just love he should love the fact that she's powerful or has magical powers or is just like empowered in some other way and and that they're like truly truly equals and that they kind of like find each other and Mm -hmm. nobody you know like they like they're the one person for each other in the world that like really gets them. I think that's yeah. what it is for me. <laughs> uh, it's um, so funny how I didn't put any on this list because I'm really bad with book character names, especially if it's a one-off book. Yeah. Um, like I could name some books where I love the ship, but I can't think of their names. But yeah. you can get so invested in a relationship in the course of like 300 pages Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the book I'm like I'm never gonna read them ever again oh you know what you know what book really sums up my like trope is that um is the book Uprooted which I think I've (gasps) talked about on the podcast before the couple in that book is like all those things I just said and he's a bad and he's a bad bad guy maybe we're more similar than (laughs) because in that book you think he's this evil person and he's just not he's like Reese yeah I I, (gasps) I wish that book was a series so much I think it's getting turned into a movie though that's have you read the poison study series Mm-mm. the couple in that series is kind of like that too you think in the first book that he's this bad person but he's really like yeah i mean he's ambiguous but he's a good person yeah yeah i, I kind of like the ambiguity yeah. ambiguity ambiguity ambiguity, ambiguity. <laughs> um I, I was also gonna say that i almost bought my mom um when we first got into outlander together i almost bought her this mug that said um I'm not going to do anything today. Well, I do Jamie Frazier. <laughs> or something like that. That's so great. I mean, that would be the truth. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> My boyfriend's in the other room, but hey, honey. You can put your in your fictional characters list, right? If passes. a Scottish man from the 1700s ever comes to call. And he's perfect for me. Well, then that's, that's allowed. So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, all right. Should we draw our book for next week? We should. Okay. So, okay, we're pulling one out of our big jar, and our next book is called To Each His Own. Hmm, what do we think To Each His Own is Makes about? Makes me think of As You Like It, almost. Oh, like The Princess Bride? hmm For me, it makes... I mean, Wasn't As You Like It a Shakespeare? Oh, also that. I'm thinking <laughs> as, as, you, as You Wish from The Princess Bride, a way less classy <laughs> um, connection. As You Like It is a Shakespearean play that I've never read. I haven't read it either, but I the title just made me think of it. any Shakespeare, and there's no Shakespeare on this list because there's no plays. So. Which I'm okay with no plays. Yeah. I'm also okay with no poetry. Yeah, yeah. I know. I wasn't even expecting there to be short stories until we got to that other book. Um, but I, for me, it reminds me of... Um, that Virginia Woolf book, A Room of One's Own. That's what oh. it makes me think of. Um, but we'll have to see what it's about next week. Oh my goodness, I just remembered one thing that we did not say about this book that I oh. would just like to continue my theme of not liking. Why are there no chapters? Oh, I forgot all about that. It's so, so long ago that I read it. There yeah. were three chapters. There's, yeah, there's only just those three sections and no chapters. I just, so which made it really hard to I read. had to close us off with that because I think that's going to be my pet peeve. I think that's going to be the thing we come back to is that... Yeah. I don't understand why there can't be chapters. It'll be interesting to see how much the reason we don't like the book is because of the structure, mm-hmm. not not because of the story or the meaning. We're or so enmeshed in our like, which is I think that's why it's good for us to read the to read this list and see if it is worth our time, worth anyone's time, because you just end up reading, you know what you like, and you read those mm-hmm. things and over and over again, and you don't get bored with it. You read, you're like, this is the kind of thing I like to ship a thousand times, and I could keep reading it. You and know? It actually, that is something. It has made me like 
appreciate when, like when we were reading life as a caravan sarai mm-hmm. blah 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 million mile long title I really appreciated the novels that I was like actually reading at the time That's along true. with it. It made <laughs> yeah. me very much be like, oh, this is home. This is a place I'm trying out, but this is home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what books are, right? Just, you know, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you oh. home. All books are like that. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter. We're going to have to have a Harry Potter episode at some point. Oh, yeah, point. there'll be a mini-sode for sure, obviously. You can or a mini-series. Or, yeah, a, real, or a really long episode because we can talk about it forever. <laughs> All, right. All right. All right, listeners. Well, we'd love to hear from you. You can follow us at 1001BooksPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can email us at, email us at 1001BooksPodcast at gmail.com, 1001-1001. Yes, and we just, the two of us, um, began to plan a really fun vacation for New York this summer. And so if you have any fabulous New York book recommendations, because we are the nerdy book people who read about the place before we go there, please yeah. let Even us know. Even if it was like a really well-written nonfiction book where then we could go to the place that it was I about. I would be all about we'd that. We'd be all about that. And the only book we could think of that that automatically came to mind that set in New York City that we've read is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Which I will be rereading. Which we bo- and we both <laughs> love. But the uh, but I'm sure I've read other books, but we cannot think of them. So if you, yeah. have, if you have a book, a novel or nonfiction that you feel like really sums up New York City, let us know. Email us or uh, message us on any of those. Yes, sites. on any of our social media. And we will be back to talk to you next week for book number eight. Mm-hmm.